Every day, traders and investors dive in to tackle the ever-changing markets to find opportunity. Futures Radio Show is your number one source for answers to the questions that all market participants want to ask. Veteran futures trader Anthony Crudelli sits down with the most influential leaders and top traders in the industry. Now, here's your host, Anthony Crudelli. What's up, everybody? Anthony Crudelli here, and thank you for tuning in for this episode with Michael Leibowitz. Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group. They are the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit activetrader.cmegroup.com. Remember, new shows are posted on Mondays and Thursdays. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes. This show is also sponsored by Trading Technologies, FTSE Russell, and RJO Futures. Today, I spoke with Portfolio Manager at RIA Advisors, Michael Leibowitz. Had a great chat with Mike this week. We started off by Mike giving us his thoughts on what the Fed has done thus far and its impact on the equities markets. And because I primarily use technicals in my trading, Mike asked me if I would have used technicals to trade wheat in Russia back in the old days when the USSR controlled the price of wheat. And that sparked a really good chat about whether or not technicals or fundamentals are what are really controlling price anymore, or is it just the Fed? He explains how he is using sector rotations to trade equities right now and gives us his thoughts on gold, silver, Bitcoin, and the U.S. dollar. Last but not least, Mike explains why he believes the tenure has gotten so sideways. So without further ado, let me take you right to my interview with Mike. Mike, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Anthony. Great to be back. It's great to speak with you today. A lot of questions for you. A lot going on, Mike, you know, from the Fed and what's happening in the markets. I want to start off with the Fed today. The Fed has fired their bazookas. <laughs> We're seeing the equity markets and, and what they're doing, puzzling a lot, a lot of people, uh, even technicians at this point. Uh, let's just start off with, I mean, you write a ton about what the Fed has done. Just give us your insight as to what the Fed has done thus far and your thoughts on it. I mean, the Fed has just put out, you know, like you said, a bazooka. I would maybe even say a nuclear bomb full of monetary stimulus. And they've done it in so many different sectors. They expanded on what they did in 2008, and they're doing many new things this time. Uh, just from an, uh, from an asset perspective, they've added about $3 trillion to their balance sheet. So just to put perspective on that, that is just slightly less than they did during QE 1, 2, and 3. And they've done it all within about two months, three months. So, so the, the, the amount they've done and the pace that they've put it on at is truly unprecedented. And, you know, what's interesting about this time is that they have moved into different markets. They, you know, they started with US, buying U.S. treasuries and mortgage-backed securities like they did in 2008. But this time they have gone into, you know, they're helping munis out, municipalities out. And they've gone even into junk bonds, investment-grade bonds and junk bonds. They are doing everything they can to make sure the markets are fully liquid 
and dare I say, going up every day because the, the effect that they're having, and I'm not saying it's a direct effect. I'm not saying that they're buying stocks, but they are buying junk bonds, which have a very high correlation of stocks and are frequently hedged with the S&P uh, because their correlation tends to run very high. And, you know, I, I think people may cheer this. It's good for the markets. You know, let, let's cheer it because we need stable markets, because with stable markets, companies can get funded and the economy can get back to normal. That's one way to look at it. But another way to look at it is the Fed is grossly distorting the signals that markets tend to, that markets send. Like the benefit of a market, of interest rate markets, is that you know, interest rate tells you where the supply and demand for money is. It's an incredibly important signal. And as someone that's running a business or an investor or just about anyone that's somewhat involved in commerce or finance, that's very important to understand. And the Fed has gone into the interest rate market and they have made any kind of signal irrelevant. Amazon, for instance, just borrowed money yesterday for three years at 0.40%, 0.40 basis points. So basically borrowing money for free. I'm not saying Amazon is a credit risk, but that's that seems there's no why would you lend them money? You're picking up almost next to nothing. And there is risk that something does happen to Amazon. Not a lot, but so so the signals are being distorted. And I think that's really doing a huge disfavor to not only investors, but to the economy. Yeah, I mean, if we've learned anything, there's always risk. <laughs> I don't care if it's Amazon or anybody, there's always risk. And point four just seems you know, ridiculous. I didn't know that. Um, but something that I want I want to talk a little bit more about is you mentioned junk bonds and the correlation with equities. What symbol are you looking at? Because uh, I know that a lot of the S and P guys out there, like myself, uh, junk bonds are not my specialty. So, what are you looking at uh, on the chart to to see that correlation? You can just run a simple correlation between one of the popular ETFs, JNK or uh, I believe it's HYG, to you know pick SPY or whatever your favorite equity index is. Uh, you can also look at returns. The better way to do it is you pull up returns. I use Barclays data and look at returns on junk bonds versus returns on S&P. And over time, you'll find that the correlation tends to be very high. And, um, you know, and for that reason, junk bonds actually have a higher, cor higher correlation with stocks than they do investment grade or, you know, bonds that are triple B or better more solid bonds, corporate bonds, and certainly more correlation than U.S. Treasuries. So you can say that, you know, people are selling, investors are selling, brokers, banks are selling junk bonds to the Fed. And when that happens, they're most likely some of those trades are being hedged with equities by the banks and brokers. So indirectly, I think it is having an effect on stocks. And at the end of the day, I think this is also just a Pavlov's dog thing. Let's buy whatever the Fed's buying, right? The yeah. Fed's involved, stocks go up. They're buying junk bonds. Let's buy junk bonds. We don't care that they're only yielding. I, I look at bonds. I get sent bonds every day. And I'm looking at these bonds of companies at 4 or 5% that are, 
you know, and we're in a recession. We're, we're not in an economic period, a good economic period. And there's a lot of unknowns. And, the, the you know, like Amazon at 0.40% is low, but, but some of these companies that are really not good companies and don't have a strong chance of survival, you're only getting paid four or five or 6% to own them. That's equally disturbing. So, you know, again, so everything is distorted. And when the Fed buys, they're pulling securities out of the market. Like, like everyone says, well, what the Fed's doing has no effect on stocks. Not everyone. Some people say that. That's garbage because the Fed has bought $3 trillion of securities. That means they have changed the supply and demand picture of the investment universe by $3 trillion. They have taken $3 trillion of supply out of the market. And supply and demand tells you that when there's less supply and demand stays constant, well, then prices go up. And it's not just the Fed, you know, it's every other central bank, too, is doing similar actions. Yeah. And, and thank you for sharing those other ways to look at the junk bonds, because HYG is the one I keep up. I look at that a lot. I mean, the chart looks ex pretty much exactly like the S&P 500. And I was just curious right. if there was other ways to look at it. And, and thank you for providing them with me. And I want to talk about distorted, because let's face it, I, I don't care who you are unless you've been living in a closet. Uh, you you. you did not expect the S&P to do what it's done. Uh, you know, and obviously the Fed has played a major role in that. We just got done talking about that. So, uh, you know, I've tweeted about I said this is the strongest bear market I've ever seen. You know, I make a joke of it because it's <laughs> like, you know, I'm not I'm not a macro guy. I don't claim to be one, but it's like, look it. I I'm I'm also a common sense person where I look around and go, this is just seems crazy, you know, and 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 I I do rely on my technicals and even at this point now I'm looking at it the S&P is above, you know, 3110 right now as we record. I'm going, wow, it's just like I'm just watching this kind of kind of happen, but how are you talking with can, clients? Can about, I can I ask you can I can, can I ask you a question? Sure. This this may be interesting, it's technicals. Back in uh, Russia, back in the old days of the USSR, when they controlled the price of everything, right? Would would you have been able to use technicals to trade? You know, if you could trade wheat in the old communist Russia, would technicals have meant anything to you? No. Okay, so that would be my answer so, initially. You know, I mean, that's my instinct answer. Right. Right. I mean, it's yeah. kind of a uh, it's a tough question because, but. So here's 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 I think where I'm going with this whole thing. You have communism on one side where the price of everything is controlled by the government and you have a, a, a great capitalistic free market society on the other end of the spectrum. And what I'm trying to tell you is that that dial between free market and communism has shifted further to the right towards towards uh, communism. So I'm not saying that technicals don't work, but their value just like the value of all these signals to all these business people is being warped. And the closer you get to the Fed determining what the right price is for, for you know, hundreds of millions and billions of individuals and corporations makes it harder and harder to assess what's fair and what's not fair, whether you're doing it fundamentally or technicals or any other method of valuation. So how are you trading equities right now? It, it's really difficult. So we, two, two ways. We focus on our exposure. We focus on our hedges. 
we had been reducing our equity exposure, fortunately, in January and February because of we just felt that it was get it was overdone. Uh, we had QE, if you remember, and this is what no one seems to remember. In September and October, the Fed lowered rates three times, and they embarked on a new QE program. Remember QE for with Treasury bills. <laughs> so. You know, for everyone that says the economy was strong, Powell was saying the economy was on such strong footing and we're trying to build a bridge to get it back to, you know, again, strong, you know, strong footing. He had made a statement very similar to that a week or two ago. We were not on strong footing. The economy was running slightly above 2% and we were doing QE and lowering rates down to levels that are historically very, very low. So that's where we were coming from. And at the same time, because of QE, Pavlov's, Pavlov's dogs went crazy and stocks were moving high. You know, they were, they were moving quickly to the upside, getting very oversold. So we were reducing our exposure, taking profits on the margin uh, going into it. We, uh, we were very concerned. So we were pretty quick to reduce our equity exposure. Uh, and reduce our credit exposure in our fixed income book. So we were able to move much more to treasuries and out of some of the corporate and uh, uh, mortgage holdings that we had held at the time. Um, you know, so, so the market bottomed and we had at that point had a very low equity exposure. Once we were getting some technical signs that the market was getting ready to bounce a little, we were slowly adding, but we were adding in a way, and when we when we reduced and added, we were really thinking about what sectors, what companies were either least harmed or would benefit most. So like Clorox, for instance, we have held onto that one for a while and we've done very well in it because obviously you can't even buy Clorox products. You go to the store and still they're sold out by eight or nine in the morning. Yep. Um, but fundamentally it's a very overvalued stock, but it's the right place to be right now. So we've really focused on our, on our sector positioning and, and stocks within those sectors to try to navigate this. And we have brought our exposure good, good away, good, a good way back to where it was, but we're not fully committed. And, and to be honest, we think of a lot of these positions as potentially rental positions that, we're going to have to sell again because we don't trust prices at these levels. Hey, everybody, a quick pause here to talk about FTSE Russell. They are a leading global provider of benchmarks, analytics, and data solutions. The Russell 2000 Index is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 Index futures contract, symbol RTY. For more information on FTSE Russell and their products, Please visit footsierussell.com. Yeah, I mean, as a, as a trader, I mean, the reason why I primarily use technicals is because it's an easier way for me to manage risk. And and I look at it right now, and even as a short-term day trader, and I do some swing trading as well, it, it's it becomes more and more difficult on a day-to-day -day basis as we go higher to be long because it's harder to manage risk just because when you look at the chart and I look at the things that I look at, we're opening up at resistance or above it every day. I mean, how long am I going to keep buying breakouts? <laughs> you know, uh, right, right. you know, it just becomes like where you just almost have to just watch and say, this is just not my market. And so getting back to how you're trading equities sectors. Yeah. And, let me, let me just go back for one thing. Cause you said something interesting. 
So we tend to be value. We tend to look for value. We, you know, we, we uh, be fundamental based. Um, but we have, and this has been going on for a few years, become more technical based. And we have now gotten to the point where we are almost fully short term technical based because the fundamentals and valuations mean next to nothing right now. This is all about rotation and which like right now builders and materials are really high and they're moving out of some of the uh, the tech space that was on fire for the last few months. So, you, you know, you're, we're getting stuck looking at the sector rotations and company rotations and trying to, you know, manage our equity exposure, but within that equity exposure, try to be in some of the hotter sectors. And it's all based on on technicals, there's very little fundamentals here because our our fundamental outlook, economic outlook, is awful for the next you know five ten years. Uh, so we have to hold our nose and rely much more heavily on technicals than we ever did to uh, invest. And Mike, you know, you talk about sector rotations, and I'm not a long term trader or and you know investor so for me that that's uh, that's not something that i'm trading in i'm not trading in different sectors but i do watch it and i have learned and i've traded through several bull markets that when i see sector rotations from you know like we're talking about from let's just say i look at it in the major indices where the nasdaq's the real strong one lately everyone knows that and then all of a sudden the russell starts catching up i always looked at that and said when i start to see that happening you know i'm, I'm talking about obviously within the indices that's bullish. That's bull market type of action. I mean, do, do you feel that way as well? Well, it feels like they are, you know, when a rally started, it was very few sectors and very few stocks that were pulling, that were starting. And to that point, you're correct that there it's becoming, uh, you know, much more the population of stocks in general are all, are all starting to rise. And we're seeing, all right, small and mid caps have done very well even versus the S&P over the last uh, few weeks. Yep. So in that respect, yeah, everything is starting to come up. But it really feels to me like what's going on, if you look, tech, you know, the NASDAQ has underperformed the last week or two. It feels like investors are selling out of those trusted names, you know, the fangs, the, the stocks that really got them here, Microsoft. And they're moving into the riskier sectors. Uh, you know, the airlines are doing well. Builders' materials are doing really well. They're at most risk for this economy. Emerging markets has done really well. Um, small caps, which have a lot of debt issues, uh, have done really well. So the question is, is the broader market rising, which is a bullish sign, or is the broader market rising because they're just chasing anything that's still beating down somewhat because you know a stock goes from 40 to 20 and someone thinks it's on sale? just because it's 20 and it used to be 40. And yeah. that's not necessarily the case. Uh, but if you look at, you know, Microsoft is almost back, maybe back 100% of where it was. And some of these stocks have only rallied 20% off the lows. So I think there's a lot of bottom fishing based purely on price and, um, you know, what's happened. And, and they think that everything's going to get back to 100%. And, uh, you know, my technically... That, that may happen, but my fundamental view is that this the outlook for the next long period of time is not good. 
and doesn't justify any of these valuations, whether it's Microsoft or, you know, some pretty poor looking uh, small cap. You made a great point in the way that you look at sector rotations because it really there's there's two ways to look at it. One is they're taking the winners off the table because they feel like they've run their course. You look at the Nasdaq, right? And then they, they everyone goes, "Well, I made some money here. Let me buy the other ones that are cheaper." And you know they basically, and I'm thinking about this as a trader's perspective, not as somebody who's investing someone's money. But I look at it and go, "Well, these names are cheaper now. You know, maybe they start to come up and, and they and they throw some money at it, and all of a sudden." You know, it looks as though you have this wide sector rally uh, because people have got to put money somewhere. Right. It, it, you know, it's like the old joke about, you know, my wife comes home and she got something on sale. Henny, I got a great deal. I bought this coat for 500 bucks. I'm like, that doesn't seem like a great deal. Well, it was 800. I'm like, that's still not a good deal. <laughs> yes. It, it's it, just lower in price. Yeah. And, and that's why it, it to me, this it, it, it feels like we're back in this. Fake it till you make it with the Fed type scenario, right? Like they, they get the market up here and then all of a sudden everything looks to be strong. And then you have, uh, you know, the technical people, the fundamental people start to look at the way these stocks are performing. And I know the data and everything is bad and, 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 and th that aspect is not working right now. But and then you get this bull market, <laughs> you know, and it becomes, right. you know, and it, it's here. So the next thing I kind of want to talk about is now that we see this evolving with stocks. I mean, today we saw a pullback in gold. I don't think that, I mean, I don't know percentage wise what it was, but I saw, I know it got below 1700 and I know you talk a lot about gold. Curious what you think this means for, for gold markets going forward. So look, gold markets have been very volatile and they, they always tend to be volatile. I think in general, what's going on with the, with, the Fed, with many other central banks, is bullish for gold, and it certainly had it's had a nice rally over well well before it initially sold off with the COVID virus, but it's well above the March February highs, and it was rallying nicely before that as well. Uh, so it's taking a breather. Uh, it still hasn't hit the highs from uh, 2012, 2013, whenever those highs were made. Uh, but it's picked up a large chunk of those of the loss that happened between the two time frames. Um, and, you know, as we as the Fed. Even though they're not printing, I'm going to say print money, because that's essentially what they're doing in a roundabout way. Uh, as the Fed becomes more and more active, especially considering the scope of what they're doing. The 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 uh, desirability to own own money in some other form, gold, silver, Bitcoin. Bitcoin is very popular now. Silver uh, gains in popularity. Um, and I, I really like gold and I've liked gold for a while. Um, I've liked it actually for almost 20 years now. doesn't mean buy and hold. It means trade around it. When it gets overbought, you know, you need to sell it, take some profits. And when it gets oversold, buy it and manage your position accordingly, because it can be extremely volatile. It's down almost 2% today, uh, despite a Fed that's very active. Um, and we saw that when they when gold got hammered, it was during QE that it got hammered. So 
you know, I, I think gold is a good long-term place to be, but manage your holdings, take profits, and kind of think longer term when it comes to gold, silver. I'm not a Bitcoin fan, but, you know, it's funny. I've And I, and I think this has strengthened my view on gold. I was never a Bitcoin fan, and I always thought that if Bitcoin ever really rose in popularity, the government would destroy it because it's direct competition to the U.S. dollar. But they but it hadn't really risen enough that the government didn't have to do anything. But over the last couple months, watching everything that has gone on, I have considered opening up a, uh, I guess, coin. I don't even know how to do it, but I'd open up an account and own some Bitcoin. Because as you think about what's going on, what Bitcoin offers that gold or silver doesn't offer as easily is the ability to to exchange, to trade, to buy and sell uh, goods with Bitcoin. Uh, I still have concerns with Bitcoin. I don't. I got to be honest, I fully don't understand. There's really nothing behind it. But at the end of the day, there's nothing behind the U.S. dollar. There's really nothing behind gold or silver or anything in this world. Uh, but the fact that I've gotten more interested in in Bitcoin, thinking about it, I haven't done anything. I'm not in a huge hurry, but but my interest has certainly peaked. Uh, you know, tells me that I'm on the right course with gold, and I think silver too is. Uh, I'm much more onto gold. Silver uh, has gotten really cheap versus gold. It's a more or less a historic ratio: the price of gold to the price of silver which I know a lot of people follow. The upside downside with silver is that it's also an industrial metal, whereas gold is really not. So the demand and supply of, uh, or I'm sorry, the demand for silver is driven by its use in products and how much or little those products are desired. So it, it, there's kind of an extra kicker which can help you or it can hurt you. Um, and, you know, the other thing to consider is that what's going on has the potential to be inflationary. It's certainly not inflationary today. It's very recent, uh, you know, deflationary. But I think there's more than a slim chance that there's moderate to higher inflation. And by that, I mean, four or five percent or more inflation when you start looking out, you know, nine months, a year out into the future. So people are going to have to start thinking about how do I protect against inflation? And that's something that, I mean, anyone under the age in this, in our business, anyone under the age of about 60 has never had to think about or never had to deal with, had to think about it. But, you know, we've been in a consistently lower inflation uh, trend for 40 years. A question I constantly get is what platform do I use to trade futures? while I use TT. They are the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now they have integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. You could try it now for free at tryttnow.com. Yeah, a couple thoughts on things that, that you just talked about. I remember when I had Jim Rogers on the show, I was maybe about a year and a half ago, I was talking with him about Bitcoin and gold and what his thoughts were, US dollar. And he's like, you know, Anthony, I think that the Bitcoin people are the smartest people out there. I, I don't know, you know, the details about it. 
And he said something similar to you is where there's just really nothing behind it. He goes, but there's one thing I know that's behind the U.S. dollar and gold. And he said guns. <laughs> he goes, and, and that's why even when you had said, you know, the U.S. government comes in and puts a stop to Bitcoin or, or does something to it, I, I don't know what they could or could not do to it. But, um, yeah, I just I just continue to think about when Jim Rogers said that to me. That's why he's like, that's why he won't buy it <laughs> for just for that reason. Yeah, I mean, my fear is that the government takes it away. Yeah, and that's what and, we were saying. Yeah, like what the U.S. dollar has nothing behind it, but they've right. got the military. <laughs> right, right. Gold, look, they, they made holding gold illegal back in the uh, 30s. Yeah. They can do it again, but they but they can't. I mean, they can. They can take my, if I have a gold ETF or a mutual fund, they can certainly take that, but there's no way they're coming in my house and taking the gold. They don't. They don't know I have it. They don't know where it is. Yeah. I barely remember where it is. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and that requires physical action to take someone's property. Whereas taking Bitcoin doesn't require physical action. You know, it's all technology. They, they take over these uh, Bitcoin brokers or custodians, whatever they're called, and they just take it, right? There's no force, no physical force needed. I'm not saying it's not legal, but... It's much easier. As an advisor, Mike, how much are you telling clients or how much are you guys investing in and buying gold? I know that you said that it's something that you're really more trading in and out of, but what percentage of the portfolio are you trading in and out of gold? Because obviously with everything you've, everything you've, you've spoken about and how bullish you are, I'm just curious how much is being allocated to it. So right now, between gold and a smaller amount for gold miners, we have about 6-7% of the average portfolio, some a little more, some a little less. Uh, over time, that may increase. So, you know, we're, we're, we're buying. We probably wish we had bought more gold miners. They've done extremely well, but they've gotten a little toppy. Um, we don't own any silver at the moment, but we have been thinking about adding a little bit of exposure to silver. If the economy is really going to come back and if uh, inflation is an issue, silver will likely do better than gold. So we'd like a little bit of exposure there, but we're not quite ready to jump into that pool yet. You know, I talk to a lot of advisors and people that manage money, and, and, and most of them that I talk to are really one of their top things that they are bullish is gold. But yet when I talk to a lot of them, it's always such a small percentage of the mm -hmm. portfolio. Why is that? And I, th I think the reason is because there's little correlation to the other markets. So at the end of the day, most money managers, especially for retail, get caught in a trap where you have a benchmark and it's wonderful if you beat the benchmark, but um, it's really frowned upon when you go below it. So you have to hug the benchmark to some degree. Uh, we don't feel like we need to hug the benchmark, but you know, if the market's up 20% for a year, we can't be flat or down. Whereas if the market's down 20%, we'd be thrilled to be flat or slightly higher. Uh, and the problem with gold is that their correlation is just lacking between stocks or bonds, which are more traditional. So you have to control some of that uh, 
and and I think it's a positive. It's you know the the negative correlation is a positive for portfolio management, but at times you have to manage that. Um, the other thing is a lot of clients, especially retail clients, don't understand gold. They don't understand why you would own it. It's just a rock in a ground that has no real purpose, right? Um, so we write a lot. You know, I've written several articles on gold, on precious metals, on the dollar. Um, and we educate and we talk to them. But at the end of the day, it's still a hard trade. And look, we may get up to 10%, maybe 15%, but probably not beyond that point. And to your point, you're right. Most money managers, you know, retail or professional and in, in, um, institutional, no one owns gold. The percentage of gold hold, you know, ownership is at the institutional level is very low. So if you just have a small portion, you know, if, if every investor adds 1% of gold to their portfolios, it's, you know, it's unfathomable what happened, what will happen to the price of gold. I want to move on and talk about treasuries as somebody who was day trading tenure for a long time. I got to tell you this year, uh, we had a little bit of movement, obviously back in March and April, and it has gone completely sideways. I mean, this thing is not even moving. I, I barely even watch it anymore. It just seems like rates are just stuck here. What are your thoughts on interest rates right now? So it's interesting that you say that. And I've been paying close attention to that too, especially the 10 year. Yeah. Uh, so rates are stuck here. Well, why would they be stuck here? They're stuck here because the market has actually found the right level, you know, a nice equilibrium between buyers and sellers. That's one possible answer. The other answer is that the Fed is, and we may hear about this in about a week. I think the Fed meets next uh, Wednesday, actually. And one of the things that a few of the Fed presidents have brought up is what they call yield curve control. So right now, the Fed um, is you know, buying across a curve. And they're buying in not indiscriminate amounts, but they, they announce their size. Like, I believe they're buying four and a half uh, billion this week. And they'll buy some, you know, two-year notes, some two-year notes, five-year notes, 10-year notes, maybe some 30-year bonds and, and mortgages and other things. But what yield curve control is saying, we're going to do QE as needed, meaning that we're going to set a yield benchmark. Let's just say the 10-year 75 basis points. And whenever the yield goes above 75, we're going to buy it all day to make sure it doesn't go above 75. And I got a feeling that that's already going on informally at the Fed. And it wouldn't shock me if they announced it formally at this meet, at this upcoming meeting or one of the next few meetings. Because at the end of the day, we had a debt problem before COVID. Now we have much more of a debt problem. You know, the government's going to run a $4 trillion deficit this year and whatever else they run in the years ahead. And corporations have just added more debt this year already or about the same amount of debt this year already as they added all of the last few years per year annually. So the amount of debt in the system and most of this debt is worthless debt. It's not productive debt is not increasing the economy. You know, long term, it's not increasing economic activity. It's going to become a dead weight on the economy and the higher interest rates go, the more of a dead weight it becomes and more of a headwind it becomes on the economy. So I think the Fed is already practicing yield curve control to some degree. 
with their daily, you know, with their daily QE purchases. They're they're focusing on yields across the treasury curve. And it's if you look at a graph of the 10 year, like you were just saying, it's certainly becoming clear that somewhere, you know, between 0.80 and 0.70, somewhere like something like that is their preferred uh, yield for the 10 year. Yeah, I mean, everybody just and, pull up a daily chart of the 10 year. It's just it's like they turn the lights off. <laughs> right. And you look at any other market and it's going crazy still. Yeah. Right. You look look at every other market. They're bouncing up and down and going all over the place. Um, and it's not unprecedented. Japan's been doing this for a little while. And the U.S. did this from 1942 to 1950, part of World War Two and then post World War Two. To help fund, you know, the war. So we heard everything that you, you've talked about what the Fed has done. We talked about your approach to, to trading equities, some thoughts on gold. What's next, Mike? I mean, look at this this market. You know, like I said, we're recording here today on June third. Markets around thirty one hundred in the S and P thirty one twelve as we speak. And you know, what derails this thing? Uh, if there's anything that you think we should we should be keeping an eye out for, because obviously bad data, the market doesn't seem to care about that too much. <laughs> you know, uh, you know what what could derail it? Uh, and also, what do you think? could maybe accelerate it what what maybe would say you know what we're going to just keep going up i mean never thought i would say could we make highs of the uh take out last year's highs this year never thought i'd utter those words just uh maybe just a few weeks ago but hey it's it's not impossible now yeah i mean look if the sentiment can continue it can go to new highs it can go much higher if i think if the market starts thinking about a little bit of inflation you know call it three four percent type inflation the market can keep going higher because uh, stocks can do well initially during inflation. Uh, they're a place to protect your money because bonds certainly aren't. Uh, you know, now on the flip side, my concern is that we are not going to get back to a level of GDP for four or five years and possibly even longer. We have reduced the natural growth rate of the economy significantly because of all the debt we've added. That has been completely unproductive. So, uh, and look, jobless ADP, the ADP report this morning was very good, but we still lost two point, I believe it was seven million jobs, a number that you know you can't even we wouldn't have even been able to comprehend three months ago. No. Um, and employment will get better, but it's going to be a long time before employment is back below five, six, seven percent. Somewhere, you know, in that ballpark, which means that the economy is, you know, personal consumption is 60, 65 percent of GDP. It's really hard to see how economic activity gets back to the levels that it was at, you know, in 2019, given that you're going to have a slower growth rate, you have more debt. And look, we're in a recession. People are not working. And a lot of people that are working have had their pay reduced or hours cut or both. So, you know, we're really crippled. And, and, and what's interesting is if you think about it, in uh, 2008, GDP fell at its trough of called 4%, maybe it was 5%, right? So that means economic activity was running, let's just say 95% of what it was before the recession. 5% is a big number when we talk about it in GDP terms and economic terms and market terms, you know, as far as the effect on the markets. But 
from our day-to-day life terms, you don't see 5%, right? 5% means there's one less table at a restaurant that's being used. There's a few extra seats at the stadium that aren't being used. There's that the airplane flight isn't completely sold out. There's a, a row or two that are empty. It's not, it's not extremely noticeable, but it, it has a huge effect. And the more debt there is in the system versus the size of GDP, the ratio, the worse it is because in, a, in order to grow debt at a faster rate than the economy, you need lower and lower interest rates because the economic growth can't pay off the debt. And that's the trap we're in. And that's, that's my concern is that we're not recovering, fully recovering for a long time. And I think the market thinks we're going to recover in a V, v like V-shape like fashion, which I, I, even if there's a cure today and a vaccine today, I don't see that at all. And that's the other thing. Look, that's the other thing. We, there's no cure or vaccine for this. I mean, it certainly seems like things are getting better, but, you know, where we're certainly getting out and about more, but this thing could be, there could be a big resurgence too. No doubt. I mean, there's just so many things that I look at that make me cautious, but that's a lot of times when bull markets just keep excelling. You know what I mean? And it's just one of those things where the unknown is, is also, I think a factor in, in helping the market go higher that chase mentality, which we all know doesn't really end well at some point, but uh, (laughs) has a stock market ever made all time highs in a recession? Do you know that? Uh, I don't know. Do you know the answer? No, I don't. I was just thinking about that. I, you know, I was like, I wonder if you know, because in in all the years I look back at that I've been doing this, I can't ever remember a time where I think that the stock market as we, because have we officially gone into a recession? I mean, we all know we're in one, right? But has... Well, technically, technically, you need two two quarters right? of negative growth. So we're going to have to wait until yes. about a month and a half from now to find out like in mid late July when they released GDP and then we'll technically be in a recession. Now they do go back over, you know, when we look back on this five years from now, they'll say a recession may have started last September when the fed was lowering rates. Yeah. They, they typically revise them and, and revise data sharply lower too. Yeah. Well then it would, then it would have absolutely made an all time high during a recession. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So true. it's just right. something I was just kind of thinking about last thing before I let you go, Mike, yeah, you know, I did a show, I don't know, a couple of months ago, maybe, maybe even longer than that, on ESG. And really, it seems like almost every day now, I I turn on the TV and and when I'm watching, you know, business media, financial media, ESG is being talked about. I'm curious, right. uh, what are your thoughts on ESG? Hey, everybody, I want to take a quick pause and talk about RJO Futures. They are a long-standing brokerage firm with personal broker relationships to learn, discuss, and trade the futures markets. To learn more about RJO Futures, please visit rjofutures.com. So first of all, we are not really providing capital as investors in general. We're not providing capital to corporations. When you buy a stock of Exxon, let's say Exxon, right? That's not a very ESG friendly type of uh, company. You're just buying it from another investor. You're not buying it from Exxon. So you're not funding Exxon. Uh, so we, you know, first of all, be careful to understand that most investments that we make are not directly funding the company or their activities. 
The other thing is, I, I think there's more efficient ways if, if you are do want to do want to promote ESG. I think it's much more effective to make your money in the markets and to do so preserve all the opportunities, all the diversification you can find that and that, you know, that means buying a lot of not ESG friendly companies and go go volunteer, go donate your money, your profits to ESG causes. Um, so I'm not a fan of ESG. I just think that you're limiting your investment options. Therefore, you're limiting your potential return. Um, and it's and it's you know I'm not even sure what the effect is if if we told our clients we're not buying any energy stocks going forward. What what is Exxon? That doesn't really affect Exxon. So the stock may go down a hair, but Exxon's still going to keep going, and there'll be plenty of you know, say a bunch of investors sell Exxon. Exxon becomes, you know, is showing more value. It's going to attract other investors. Look, there are there are plenty of times where I kind of hold my nose and buy stocks, companies that I don't like, whether it's fundamental reasons or I just don't like what they do. But but that's that's our job. And I think it's in our private lives where we can make the real differences in the causes that we believe in. Mike, great conversation today. I, I can't thank you enough for taking time to join me. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter and give us a website to check out? Twitter, I am at Michael Leibowitz. Um, I guess just at Michael Leibowitz, L-E-B-O-W-I-T-Z. And my colleague Lance Roberts and I post all our stuff at realinvestmentadvice.com. We are writing articles all the time uh, and you can find us there and get a taste for, we write a lot of investment pieces, a lot of macroeconomic pieces, a lot of a lot of what we've discussed today. We talk about the Fed a lot and how it affects the economy, how it affects the markets. So you can uh, read our latest articles there, realinvestmentadvice.com. Yeah, I read a lot of your articles, Mike, and, uh, and I watch a lot of Lance's videos. You guys do great work. Appreciate everything that you guys are putting out there for uh, all of us to tune in and listen to and read. So, Mike, thank you again so much for joining me on Futures Radio Show. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can listen to all of our episodes on futuresradioshow.com iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher.